Welcome to Really Specific Stories, Kelvin. It's great to have you on. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, as you might have heard before, we start with the same question on this show. Kelvin, how did you get into podcasts? It's funny. I'm trying to think back. It, it really was around, you know, filling in time. I think I think that's what the you know, the early days of, you know, my me getting into podcasts was all about. Uh, and I think back to the pre-iPhone, pre-Android days, and I had a Nokia E51, which is sort of like a BlackBerry ripoff. Uh, I had the keyboard and everything. And the first thing I remember doing as I was going to university on that long bus ride was to actually download news stories. To, to, you know, data was really expensive back then. And I was a student. So it was about downloading the news stories before you leave the house and then reading it on the bus. And then from there, you know, Android came around, iPhone came around, and that habit didn't go away. It was all about consuming that information, that news. And then I guess, you know, kind of like everybody else, you know, we started discovering people like Leo Laporte and the, the Twitter network, and it, it kind of just grew from there. Now, if it was about consuming news, mm. what was it about tech news that you found so interesting or engaging? Why was that the genre? Because it changes so much. And, I, and it's also, you know, been an interest of mine since I was a kid. I used to break things all the time. My dad used to buy nice and shiny computers. And before you know it, I was trying to open it up and see what was inside. So it kind of just grew from there and it was evolving so much. I think, you know, uh, when you think about life before the iPhone and life after the iPhone, things just progressed so much quicker after that. So, you know, it was fun to sort of, um, you know, be, be up to date with everything. When you say you were breaking things, casting your back, mind back even further, because I'm curious <laughs> to hear what those things might have been. Yeah. What were some of those early tech products or experiences that formed that early impression for you? Um, mostly, you know, I remember my dad's first um, mobile phone. It was the Motorola, the brick, really. And then, you know, my dad used to bring back his laptop computer and they used to cost an arm and a leg. Uh, and then, you know, buying my first desktop computer. My first computer was an Apple Mac II, I think. Um, and, you know, used to play games on it and everything. But after a while, you just wanted to see what was inside and you would find a screwdriver and try to open that up and not know how to put it back together again. So my dad was very pleased about that. <laughs> that it couldn't be reassembled? <laughs> no. Oh dear. And it was so expensive. I'm, I'm sure it was. It would have cost quite a bit. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring up the Mac as an early part of your mm. tech experience, because I think it's fair to say that while there are tech podcasts of various different fandoms or persuasions or brand preferences, mm. the Mac or Apple as a brand in general is a very large part of that tech podcast sphere. Through those early days, you mentioned Leo Laporte, was the Mac or Apple in general a focus for you or did you find interest in other areas too? Um, it, it was it was quite funny. My first phone was an Android device um, because Apple was so expensive. And, you know, the, the first phone you know you get was was never going to do that. But also, there was something about Android being that underdog, and, and it's kind of the same sort of feel you get with podcasts. You know, when podcasts first came out, like no one knew what it was, and you kind of felt special, just like you felt kind of special using Android, even though everyone else was using. Um, iPhones back then. So I, I just enjoyed the whole, you know, wanted, I wanted to see where Android was going because it was nowhere near as mature as Apple and iOS. And I felt like I was part of a movement, which sounds kind of sad when it comes to phones, but we could see it evolve to, to the state that it is now. So I listened to, to everything around technology. You know, I think Leo, I think, I think that's what, he was probably one of the very first few people to actually just 
take a scatter approach to everything. He was covering everything from Android to Apple to general tech, and then he moved on to Google. Um, so there's just so much content to consume. I, w- I wouldn't say there was one topic that I was uh, really hooked on to. That's intriguing to me that you bring up Android mm. as the underdog, because mm. for people who follow Apple in general or mm. tech narratives or the way that the industry has kind of gone, classically, Apple and the Mac was regarded as the underdog mm-hmm. as far as desktop computing went. Yes. Nowadays, it's a bit of a different story, but your characterization of Android as the underdog is really interesting. Mm. So when we think about your fandom for Android, mm. would you characterize that as early fandom or was it more about anti-fandom towards Apple? How did, how did you negotiate or navigate those different brand feelings as you were listening to these podcasts? It's, it's quite interesting. Um, so I always alternated between the two. I would have an Android phone for, for one or two years, and then I would go to an iPhone and go back and forth. So I, I see it more of a, a generalist type approach to these things. I would, I, I'm a fan of technology. For me, it's not about Android versus iOS. I think they both bring their own unique approaches to things. The, the thing that drew me to Android the most when I started out you know, with a phone and everything was I could do everything on it, whereas Apple was a closed ecosystem. So it was slightly more difficult and, you know, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't just something that sat well with me at the start, but, you know, they did other things really well. Design, for example, like I think no one can compete with them on that. How did your listening progress from those early days of Leo Laporte? Where did your podcasting journey take you and what did you start listening to? It's, I think everyone fell into the storytelling phase of podcasting where you had things like Limetown, where you had things like... Oh, that really famous podcast that everyone seems to forget the name to. Serial. <laughs> Serial. <laughs> That's the one. I think, I think that opened up a whole different genre of podcasting for me, but it also died really quickly for me. Um, I felt like, you know, a lot of them followed the same approach and it wasn't special. It wasn't unique after a while. You At some point, you're going to run out of the typical Netflix episodic approach where at the end of the episode, they leave you hanging and then they move on to the next episode. I kind of grew a bit tired of that. Um, So I went back to your general news slash podcasting. And what I started to realize was it was the personality of the hosts uh, rather than the content uh, that really drew me in to a number of podcasts. So that was quite interesting. That's an interesting shift back because- Mm. I think if we look at the charts these days, a lot of those things or those genres are still at the top. And you'll have Mm. the top of the tech charts or categories, but tech would not really compare to something like true crime or Mm. other business or narrative genres. Personality is an interesting point. Are there any specific personalities that you would call out following that early era of Leo Laporte who have stood out for you either in the tech genre or other news content that you've listened to? Yeah. The only way, the, the way I answer, the way to really look into that question is who am I still listening to now? Mm. And the one standout is the No Agenda show by Adam Curry. There, there's just something about him and his co-host um, on that show where they can talk about anything and everything and they still add their own unique flavors to it. And they argue all the time. It isn't pretty, um, but there's just something about that. Um, especially now being a parent you're so time poor. And the only time you ever get to listen to podcasts is in between drop-offs and pickups. So with the th- two or three hours I have a week, I'm totally consumed by one, one sort of podcast at the moment. There will be times where, you know, friends um, come recommend different things to me and I have a listen. But so far, I've really stuck to the No Agenda show. 
just because they're always trying different things and it's kind of wacky. And I feel like the the typical tech podcast now, they're all quite commoditized. They're all quite generic. So I think it takes a lot to really stand out in the crowd now. So with that, looking for new or experimental things with the time that you have and saying that tech in general is maybe a bit generic, mm-hmm. does that mean that you're listening to tech a lot less or have actually opted out? What's the kind of, I suppose, rough slice of the pie? So it, it really comes down to content consumption again. Um, I'm finding myself with tech being drawn more to videos on YouTube where, you know, I would say what 60 to 70% of tech is about a product. It's hard to visualize a product over the audio medium. And, And it's quite funny. Most of the YouTubers that I follow on YouTube are now podcasters. So if you look at Linus, if you look at Marquez, they've all gone down the podcast route as well with, I think, the not only just to capture um, obviously time from their listeners slash viewers like myself who sit in the car with no screen, but also I think they're trying to take control away from YouTube um, and to try to own their own audience, which I think is really interesting. So when you refer to YouTubers moving to become podcasters and own that, are you referring specifically to, sorry, I accidentally used that word that wasn't actually (laughs) deliberate specifically. (laughs) Seriously, were you specifically referring to moving to a platform or delivery system like RSS or simply just something away from YouTube? As a podcaster as well and using RSS to share our show to all these different platforms, there's a certain, I don't know, a connection that we have with how free and the the current model of podcasting is. I think as the big companies like your Apples, your Googles, your Spotify will all try to own the Joe Rogans of the world. I still find RSS simplistically beautiful in how free it is and how everybody can work it out. So yeah, it's 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 definitely still the RSS. I also enjoy playing with different podcast apps. So I feel like the moment you start locking yourself down to a Spotify or even, you know, apps that I used to love like Pocket Casts are now all owned by bigger companies. I, I, you know, and it brings back the whole sort of activist type feel I get when using Android when I was younger. I still want some sort of control over the things I listen to and want to listen to and how I listen to them. And even if it's not as polished, you know, I'm willing to take that on to try different things. Cool. Which podcast app are you using right now? At the moment, oh, I don't have my phone with me. Um, I use a open source um, app at the moment. The name escapes me, unfortunately. You can put that in the show notes if you remember. That's fine. Yeah, I will. <laughs> you put me on the spot and I can't remember. But, you know, I'm definitely into more of the open source podcasting, uh, listening apps. For, for a very long time, I was using Pocket Casts. And also because I, I enjoyed listening to the creator of Pocket Cast, who was also on a lot of Leo's uh, episodes. So I think there was a connection there. Uh, but after they moved on and got bought out, I was happy to try something else. Um, so I'll definitely share that once I remember that. That's okay. Listeners can check that after the fact. It should be there, I hope. <laughs> if not, no big deal. <laughs> now, before we lose that point about YouTubers and podcasters, you mentioned that with products, you can see them visually, Mm -hmm. but YouTubers are moving to podcasts because they get to have that control. Do you think there is an advantage to the audio medium beyond control that these YouTubers can enjoy, or is the visual really the currency, really the advantage? Yeah, I think there is an advantage of, it's, it's almost a follow up on the video. I think 
a lot of YouTubers have started to notice that 10 minutes is the YouTube video length that would make best use of the algorithm. So because of the amount of editing that goes into YouTube videos these days, a lot of the detail gets taken out. And I think they can have these discussions just like we are on a podcast where something goes into my head. It's not scripted. We talk about it. Whereas YouTube videos are extremely scripted. They're so well polished and the production value is so high these days, it's hard to talk and break that script. So I think it's just a more natural medium. You feel like you're having a conversation with someone rather than listening to the person. So they can build another level of loyalty, I guess, with their listeners. That is something that YouTube can't do. I think that's a good segue Mm. into your own experience as a producer, if I can move there. Yeah. Because from what I've observed with your experience or your production with Naked Tech Podcast, you've done a bunch of different things in delivering the show. Can you tell me your own view as to how Naked Tech Podcast started and what the experience of that has been as a producer? You know, usually people have an idea and then they find a co-host to go and do it with. Uh, I think for me and Jeff, it was very much the other way around. I think, you know, Jeff and I met at work. Uh, We had similar interests in technology. Our colleagues loved listening to us talk about it. Someone dared us to do a podcast, so we did. Um, And then we slowly found our strengths. Jeff does all the editing. I do a lot of the setup. And, you know, we found a way to do hundreds of episodes uh, after so many years. So we were definitely podcasters first. And and now we haven't recorded in about a year just to give ourselves a break, but to also find a way to reach new audiences. I think think that's probably the biggest flaw with podcasting at the moment, that's discovery. I think if you are a podcast that doesn't have prominent guests that come on with large social media followings, it's hard to make that grow really quickly. And that was never our intention. Our intention with podcasting was to learn about what the hell it was, to learn about a new medium of sharing information and you know, and we've learned so much from it. Personally, we've grown so much from it and we will keep doing it. Uh, I'm sure at the back of my mind, we're, we're always thinking about how to grow the, the listenership, but it's not a focus. Uh, monetization is not a focus, thankfully for us, but obviously we wouldn't say no uh, if we cracked the, the secrets of around how to do that. You just said then that you've grown a lot by podcasting. Hmm. What do you think are some of the biggest turning points or lessons that you've experienced doing that podcast with Jeff? Public speaking has definitely been a huge difference. I'm not as afraid of the microphone because, you know, we're talking into one once a week. Uh, and when you look at some of the numbers, you're, you're, you're realizing that tens of people are listening to you talk anyway. So it kind of builds that confidence. And we didn't know that was going to be a thing. It was a nice byproduct of the podcast. And just being prepared. You don't want to talk about a topic where you haven't done any research on. It becomes it becomes very apparent very quickly. So understanding the importance of being prepared, understanding the, the listeners there, taking their time to listen to you so you better have something interesting to say, and just doing that research, which we were doing already because we had such a, uh, a strong interest in technology. It was just about taking that next level down and, and diving deeper into a lot of the topics. That was really fun. I like that you mentioned research there because... When you compare tech podcasting, for example, with narrative podcasts, like the true crime one you said, there's a different level of effort that goes into that in terms of 
framing a story, casting people, mm. doing soundscapes and effects and music and so on. But research is a big component of conveying information. If you want to sound credible, you made that point really well. If you're talking about things that you really enjoy, I'm assuming the research is less. You don't have to put as much effort in. Did you ever feel any kind of expectation from your audience to talk about topics maybe that you were less interested in? What level or effort of research have you often had to go to in producing the show? That's a really interesting question. So I think we were we never really had a lot of feedback from the listeners. You know, I think I think we had people who were all extremely positive because we were we're a smaller podcast. Uh, and sure, people occasionally would point out factual sort of inaccuracies and, and and that comes with it. And that's fine. We enjoy that kind of thing. We enjoy a bit of banter. But no one ever sort of came up and says, hey, I wish you all covered this and this instead. I think they knew that they were sharing or listening into a conversation between me and Jeff. And if they could almost dictate a little bit of that, it kind of takes the surprise element out of that episode or that podcast or what we're about. So no, not really. I wouldn't say there was any pressure to, to cover off topics that we weren't quite sure of because then it takes away the passion as well. And I think that's what people are in for um, when they listen to these shows. It's, it's, it's literally listening in on a conversation. When you're talking about feedback from listeners, even if it wasn't a lot, as you said, what were some of the primary ways that people would get in touch with you if they had a compliment to send to you or a question to ask? I think it's it was Twitter. Um, you know, Twitter's fast. Back then it was 144 characters. You get it through something really quickly. And it was probably the first sort of social media outlet that we would use to promote the show first because it was just so quick and there's just a lot of people on it. And it was a good way to have that conversation. So definitely Twitter first and then email, surprisingly. And is that the way that you've interacted uh, with other podcasters or content creators? Is that something you do yourself as a listener? It's no, actually. It's quite funny. It's, it's for me, it's not a... I still view it as a TV show almost when I listen to podcasts. I feel like that there's the, there's that wall, even though, you know, I'm quite sure if I, you know, sent Adam Curry a tweet, I wouldn't get a reply. There would be hundreds of that. Um, maybe I'm showing my age a little bit, but for me, it's still in my head. There's still that imaginary wall where I'm viewing into a, a show rather than it being something that I can interact with. And do you feel a level of satisfaction or comfort with that? Because there may be fans who really do want to reach out. Yeah, I, I think I think they know where they, they I think they get the feel that this is a smaller show and it's very different to your Adam Curry's of the world and your Leo Laporte's. And we're also based in Australia. I think a lot of these of so many of our of the podcasts we listen to are based in the US. So I think that creates a more approachable uh, vibe to the show. Have most of your listeners come from Australia, if I may ask that, or have you noticed an international representation too? It's quite funny. We look at that all the time because we enjoy looking at the analytics. It depends on the episode. So if we were to cover, you know, uh, an an app or a software company based in Europe or in China, we get a few more listeners there and it's all, it wasn't, it's never by design. It's always by chance. So we enjoy looking at the analytics to see where it takes us. Now, I don't want to lose a point that you said earlier about the fact that you haven't recorded for a year. Now, Mm -hmm. I know podcasting is a big commitment, whether it's your full-time job or a hobby or a side hustle or however you want to put it, depends on the approach and I suppose the audience that you get. For you, you've decided to take a break, which is great. Mm -hmm. What have you learned or reflected on 
in not podcasting? What have you realized or come to terms with in that time? It, there's, there's definitely still that itch to want to do it again. There's a certain satisfaction you get out of creating your own content and having the courage to put it on the internet for everyone to judge. So I definitely do miss that. And it, it gets you thinking around how, you know, all the different things we can do differently. Or do we go back to the formula that we know and love? Uh, and we're definitely weeks away from recording again, but we just want to make sure we get things right, you know, to reach a new audience that haven't listened to us for almost a year. So there's, there's definitely that excitement of, of wanting to do it again. Maybe this is uh, too particular a question, and maybe <laughs> this is something you haven't even spoken to Jeff about, but if there were no risk and you were just to throw something at the wall or try something entirely new, either within podcasting or in another medium, mm-hmm. what do you think you'd want to try in conveying information to people? Yeah. So it's quite funny. We've almost taken the wrong way around with approaching this, but before we stopped, we tried a couple of weeks of recording everything in Twitch and then using the audio in podcasting. Um, and, you know, I, I think we want to continue doing that. Uh, and then we need to make a decision of whether we focus purely just on audio, but I think we definitely want to do more in video. Uh, it just offers a different dimension to the show whether we have the time, the expertise, and the money to do something that isn't just audio related is, is something we need to figure out, but definitely to do more video. I think, I think that will open up the viewership a lot more. And what is it about Twitch for you as a platform as opposed to other things that allow video broadcasting? There's something raw about Twitch where anyone can go on there. And the fact they have an entire category just called chat, you know, sh- shows the appetite for chat on Twitch. And, and, you know, you don't find that on YouTube. I think as much as YouTube wants to make YouTube live a thing, it still doesn't even make up, you know, 5% of what I watch on YouTube. I never watch anything live on YouTube, but I would on Twitch. So that's just the, you know, there's still a little bit of what that, that makes Twitch special, even though it's gone slightly haywire, (laughs) their trajectory has gone slightly all over the place. You know, they've gone beyond gaming and things like that, but there's still a little bit of that raw sort of personality chat type feature of Twitch that I, I enjoy watching. So, you know, if we can get onto that, great. So it captures a kind of liveness that you're saying YouTube doesn't really have or wasn't designed with from the beginning. Correct. Okay, I understand. Absolutely. Now, that's pretty interesting to me what you're talking about publishing something in video because right mm-hmm. now you and I are chatting with a video screen, mm-hmm. right? We can see each other in this video chat, although only the audio will be shared and listeners will hear it that way. Mm-hmm. So... Some people like to see each other as they speak. Sometimes people don't. Yeah. To actually publish the video, though, is a different story. So what can you tell me about the feeling of publishing what is basically a podcast in video where people can see your space rather than just using it as the way to talk to the other person? I think it's generally viewed as not good enough, mostly. Um, If it's just two talking heads on the screen, that is definitely not enough. The best thing about podcasting is capturing the moment I'm going to say something silly or Jeff would say something silly. And we typically try not to edit that out because it adds to the, you know, the character of the show, you know, with video, because you have to do some editing to the video. Anyhow, there's that temptation to want to take things out, to make it a bit more polished. Uh, And that's not what we're aiming for. So where possible, we try to do everything live. For example, we'll use OBS to, you know, show different products, 
show different services, show different web pages, and we'll talk about those things. It's just adding an element on top of the way we podcast to hopefully give the listeners and viewers more. But it also can be very distracting. For example, we'll tell the audio listeners, hey, it's hard for you to imagine, but imagine this, which would appeal to the audio listener, but it would mean nothing to someone who's watching it by video. So it's almost slightly schizophrenic. <laughs> so it's something we have to figure out. So what you're describing is recording the video and audio, but actually forking it. You're actually publishing both versions. Correct. So they're almost the same thing. We almost don't, because of time, and, and we almost don't separate the two. So depending on how you look at it, if you're someone who enjoys videos, you can listen to us on the go. If you're someone who listens to the podcast, you can actually see the chaos behind the microphone almost. But we want to give them more. So have we overstretched ourselves in trying to cover two different, totally different types of, of, of medium? Probably. Um, so we'll definitely have to try to figure that one out. Bringing your audience and its impressions into the equation, do you have any idea or appreciation of how your audience views you, depending on whether they've only heard you or whether they've also seen you? Have you ever heard or got an impression of that? I, th- I, think, we, I think we're definitely more, oh, it's, it's so hard to use the word popular, but we're definitely more appealing on audio because there's a certain level, like there's not much you can do to make audio sexier. You can do a lot to make video sexier. <laughs> so there's so much emphasis on you as a person and the conversation. Whereas if you do a video, you can hide behind a lot of the, the, the production that happens on it. So because we've done the podcast a lot longer than we've done a video and the video is very much an extension of the audio, I would say there's definitely more appreciation for the show as a podcast more than a video. Uh, I think the video is a way to help us market the show a little bit to people who may not have heard the show. So it's, it's, it's a totally different audience, which is quite surprising. So if I can ask, and maybe there isn't an answer to this, maybe it isn't either or, but which one do you consider the core experience or text? And I ask you because you characterize the audio as the first thing, but the video is maybe the preference, but the video is also the marketing for the audio. So if you had to choose, if you can, where would you say the core is? I would say the audio. I feel like it's, it's, it's what it was born out of and we want to stay true to it. Um, but we also know that in terms of, you know, people who have watched YouTube, there must be a hundred times, a thousand times more people doing that than listening to podcasts. So, you know, we're still happy to see what's out there and, and who knows what will happen 10, 15 years from now, where we're probably going to VR and do a show there. You never know. So we're, we're trying to stay um, open to these new ideas, but definitely we would always go back to audio. I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Stepping back from podcasting for a second, of course it connects with this, but You've said in about a few different things that, you know, you liked Android, but you've also tried iOS. You want to try different technologies. Just then you said, you know, there's VR or other things you want to try. You've even got Twitch and audio and it's it's all happening. On the tech horizon, different products that could come out, different apps or services or hardware that you want to try. Where would you like to see technology going as someone who speaks about it and presents about it so often? It's quite interesting. I think the one sort of similarity around all the pieces of tech you just mentioned is the freedom to try all those things. 
Um, I'm not a big fan of anything that is closed. So any ecosystem that is closed, I feel like it, it limits and creates bubbles that just doesn't push us forward in, in, a, in, a, in a helpful way. So, which is why I'm so, I'm not locked down to anything. I will try everything. I have a PC, I have a Mac, I have an iPad, I have an Android phone, um, because I want to try these different things. If I feel like I fall into one ecosystem, it will not, I, I can't experience what the other side is, is experiencing. So I think freedom is a, is a big thing. There will always be companies, even like Spotify, trying to buy podcasts now. And, you know, nothing's going to stop YouTube from doing the same. And they're going to buy shows. They're going to be exclusives. It typically comes full circle. If you look at all the exclusives that the streaming services are doing, how much do we pay for five different streaming services to make sure we watch every show? And I don't want podcasting to go down that way. I don't want to start paying for, you know, Spotify to listen to Joe Rogan or, you know, something else or something else. And then you realize that people want it all back and they find different ways of pirating different things and they go back. So for me, freedom is important to try different things and to not force me to make a choice I don't have to make. That's an excellent summary, I think, of uh, where you'd like things to go or not go. Is there something in your general story or your background or your experience with the medium that I haven't asked you about that you would like to explore or that's gone untapped? I, I think there's, you know, I think Facebook is trying really hard to make the metaverse happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I work in technology, I get invitations all the time to to check out these different AR, VR, MR type apps and, and software and experiences. And it just isn't taking off. It's something that I think will happen and I'm and I can't wait to see how it will happen. I know Google initially came up with the glasses. It was way too early and then that didn't work out. And I know, you know there's always that rumor that Apple wants to do something. So is there a way to make your environment interact with the content that you're consuming is going to be, a, I think, a real breakthrough for the way we do these things. Um, so it'll be interesting. A lot of those things with the metaverse or VR glasses or AR can be quite dystopian, at least the way that people generally frame it. A lot of people imagine some sort of matrix environment or something similar. Mm-hmm. You seem quite optimistic about it. What would you like to see or where do you think it will or should be heading? Every technology has its upsides and its downsides. The very basic fundamentals of the internet, for example, your browser, you can use it to look at good things. You can look, you can use it to look at bad things and people can scam you through it as well. So I think it's, it's the education of protecting yourself and what you consume. But can you stop that from happening? I don't think so. I, I think there's always going to be downsides to any technology, but there there will also be upsides. And it's just about weighing those two up and making sure you take the right precautions. And as someone who speaks about technology so often or has done so as a podcaster, where do you see your role in that education? It's a different way of providing the latest about those pieces of technology. I think anyone can switch on a TV and listen to your main, mainstream networks and your TV and you get a bite-sized version of that. But it reaches so many people. For the portion of that audience that wants to learn more or dive deeper or um, listen to different views like mine or Jeff's, we're there uh, to continue that conversation. It's, it's, it's nice to be part of that uh, dissemination of information almost, and just keep the conversation going, whether it's bad, whether it's good, whether it'll last and whether it, it, it won't, at least, you know, 
there's somewhere that people can go to to listen to a different view. And that's what you plan to do when you return? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the interesting as well. Jeff and I have very different takes on a lot of things and that's what keeps it going. If we were both, you know, humming to the same tune, it'd be kind of a boring show. That's a, an interesting point to look at. <laughs> Where do you think that you two perhaps differ the most? Because, you know, a little bit of drama or conflict can keep a story going or keep people coming back. Where, where do you think the most interesting differences come from? I, I think, you know, two hosts on a podcast is just like any relationship. I, for me, I think Jeff is definitely the dreamer. I think he very much looks into the future of a lot of things. He's always looking for that next point of singularity, which he loves talking about. I'm more of the realist. Um, I, I like looking at, you know, how it can make a difference to me now. So, so there's always that sort of compromise that we have around, you know, is, is Elon Musk controlling the way you think and using your brainwaves to control things a good thing? So <laughs> you, you can already well, imagine a very controversial topic like that would bring around very differing views from someone like me who's, who thinks it's going to be a bad idea, but to Jeff, who thinks it can change the world. Changing the world is an interesting point. Mm. As a realist, do you see these technologies that we're engaging with as changing the world in any kind of positive way? You've hinted that podcasting maybe can or does, or that idea of openness, or has changed the world a bit dramatic. I, I hate to sound really cliche. Um, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And I, when I see them interact with the likes of Siri and, and Google devices that I have at home and the way they interact with the iPad and my phone, they're learning a lot quicker than I used to. Um, they have access to any sort of information. And, and that's a good side. I think, I think that is changing you know, how much they can learn and at what age. The downside is obviously that needs supervision. And I'm very fortunate in the sense that because I used to, you know, work in technology and digital and you know, in search and information, I know quickly how to go through a lot of information very quickly. So, you know, I have that skill set, but is everyone equipped to do the same? It's something that technology will cannot solve. We're just going to get more and more content online. You know, and it's going to be harder and harder to realize what is bad and what is good. So that's my biggest concern. So the human is a key element of all of this. As a technologist or someone who's interested in technology, how do you see the human in all of this? Yeah. And it's really, really quite funny. When people ask me, you know, what kind of job would you like in the future? And I always tell them, like, I would love to be a robot feeder <laughs> in the sense that the robot can only do so much, right? Uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning can only do so much. I want to be that guy that feeds them the information and teaches it to do the right thing as much as I can almost. So there will always be that human element. Uh, if anything, you know, the future of robotics, and machine learning, and AI will help us do a lot of the more mundane tasks while we as humans would hopefully rise up, elevate, and, and, and learn more and, and teach the robots to, to, to do things the right way. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So you're hoping for something more leisure-based than dystopian. <laughs> Is that fair? Yes, yes. I'm trying to be, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm typically a pessimist, but I'm trying to be optimistic here um, because, you know, so far, ever since, you know, I think, I think, you know, I'm in that generation where I survived without the internet and with the internet. Has it made my life a lot better? Yes. Has it made it a lot worse? probably by, you know, wasting too much time on social media, but it definitely has, you know, allowed us to connect with people a lot quicker, to save memories, to do, to do so much content, to listen to so much content. It really is up to us to make sure that we try to do the right things. 
I think that's a great point to rest on, particularly what you were saying about your kids and, and, and the way that they're growing up with things and, and moving on from there. Is there any kind of point that you'd like to sum up with or somewhere that you kind of hope things are going? I, I don't think you can stop bad actors from doing bad things, uh, regardless of the technology. If it's blockchain, if it's creating content, all we can do is educate ourselves on how to recognize what we would consider bad. I know I can't stop my kids looking at screens. So they're everywhere. If we're in a shopping center, a bus, you know, all, I can do my very best to, to hopefully educate them around what is bad and what is good. So, you know, that is really up to us. We can blame the technology as much as we want. But at the end of the day, the concept of right or wrong for, for you and, and you know, where, where you sit on that spectrum is, is up to you. Perfect. Is there anything else that you'd like to discuss? Because I don't want to limit you if there are other things you want to talk about. Because <laughs> no. you, you've got a treasure trove of information here. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think ending with that is a good, the whole right and wrong uh, debate is, is, is a good one to end on. Perfect. Because as I said, it's your episode. I'm, I'm the facilitator. <laughs> well, look, I really appreciate your time. Kelvin, coming onto the podcast. It's been really fascinating to hear about uh, your views on closed versus open, different brand ideas, remaining receptive to different products and technologies. Um, I just want to say thank you for joining the show. No, that was really fun. And I really enjoy uh, the little Mac you have at the back there. It's bringing back memories. Oh, thank you. The listeners can't see it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the Tangerine iBook, I'll have to include a picture. I know. That looks, I, I remember that one. No, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Martin, for your. Um, you know, for persisting and getting me on the show was a lot of fun. That's okay. That's my uh, self-chosen job. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care.